Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Book Club podcast with author Joanna Walsh, held in association with the Irish Writers' Centre here in Parnell Square in Dublin. I'm Laura Slattery of the Irish Times and I'm very pleased that our book club pick for the past month has been Joanna's Vertigo, a collection of 14 stories published in Ireland in March by Tramp Press. In settings that include beaches, hospital wards, French department stores, family kitchens and parties that are not fun, Vertigo explores loneliness, mistrust and the struggle to negotiate relationships as an adult woman coping with a lack of anchorage. This stunning collection was hailed in the Irish Times by critic Sarah Gilmartin for its precise and minimalist prose, its spotlight on the absurdity of life and its marriage of droll humour and inner turmoil. Joanna is also the author of the 2013 collection Fractals and the memoir Hotel, published by Bloomsbury. She is a literary critic, the fiction editor of 3AM magazine and an illustrator. She created the Twitter hashtag ReadWomen, described by the New York Times as a rallying cry for equal treatment of women writers. Here to talk about Vertigo and her creative life, please welcome Joanna Walsh. Joanna, can you tell us a little, first of all, about how you conceived this collection? Well, the collection was first published in the United States in 2015 by a publisher called Dorothy, who are actually unusually similar to Tramp. It's two people. They publish two books per year. They put in a lot of effort and enthusiasm, and they are excellent publicists, promoters, and have great connections. So there are lots and lots of things in common with Tramp there. Um, I sent Daniel Dutton, the editor there, my stories because I just read Nell Zink's The Wall Creeper, which is a wonderful book, a first book by um, an American who's been living in Europe and mostly in Germany for, I guess, the last 20 or 30 years. And it was her, it was her first book. I was so extraordinarily impressed by this unusual voice that although it's not really very similar to my writing, um, I just wanted to send her all my work. So I, I, I sent her a load of short stories and said, do, can you do anything with these? And she said, yes, I'd like to, which was amazing. And she got back within a week. And um, we, we went through putting the collection together. Together, uh, She was interested in the ones that seemed to have similar themes, um, similar kind of voice. Some people sometimes ask me whether it's a novel in, in short stories because it has all these similarities. Uh, but really the stories... I didn't necessarily intend them to go together. They were just part of, of my work. Um, I've written some quite different short stories with different sorts of voices. But um, she, those, you know, this is certainly a, a kind of major, major strand of my work, and she, she thought these are the ones that would make a really strong collection. So did Danielle Dutton see something in your work that you hadn't seen yourself? No, I think I saw it, but um, it was interesting that she she really wanted to put these all together in one in in one collection and make that make make it a very kind of directed collection. How would you like the reader to feel, you know, when they finish this book? I hadn't thought of that, but a lot of people say that they feel kind of you know that it that it that it makes them disoriented. I guess Vertigo should, or or kind of um, distraught, or um, um, I think I think. In one of the very, very few equivocal reviews I've had, the reviewer said it made her feel as if she was sitting under a strobe light. Um, I'm quite pleased about that, really. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think, I think I'm interested in making people look at things from not from a new perspective, but rather from one that's already there. It's about un- uncovering things rather than, um, rather than shifting things fundamentally. Um, I, think, I think that 
what I'm trying to do in the writing is certainly to to, to highlight things that I'm that I'm seeing, but that a certain that are not always put into words. So I'd now like to invite Joanna to read one of the stories from Vertigo. Thank you. I was going to read a story called New Year's Day, which is a very short story, and probably one of the most fragmented ones. New Year's Day on the sofa. I folded my life in on itself seven times. The last few folds, it only bent. I was surprised it was so bulky. Last night, I went to a New Year's party where I met an Indian. I mean, that's how he described himself. I am an Indian. I talked to him for a long time. He seemed neither more nor less interesting than anyone else at the party, where I knew no one well and most people not at all. He told me he had once taught business studies, but had now gone back to running a business. Everyone at the party was so lovely. Everyone was so happy. Everyone's websites were now in colour with hand-drawn lettering. Everyone liked cooking and eating. Everyone didn't see why they shouldn't like shoes. Everyone had taken pictures of themselves or had pictures of themselves taken in thrift store clothing. Everyone agreed they should take time out for themselves. Everyone knew the difference between need and desire. Everyone made surprisingly snarky jokes, but everyone also laughed. Everyone smoked or used to smoke, but everyone also or instead did yoga. Everyone was younger than me, even those who were older, or maybe it was the other way around. Everyone knew how to take their time. Everyone knew the value of real success, though everyone once worked for a flashy magazine or some such. Everyone knew how to say fuck. Everyone knew when to say fuck it. Everyone wasn't hurting anyone. Everyone knew how to keep some distance. Everyone knew when to let go. Everyone knew when to say enough is enough. Everyone enjoyed cake. Everyone had a secret tattoo. Anyone who didn't was keeping it secret. Everyone was surprised at some things. Other things were no surprise to anyone. Everyone knew there's a time and a place, though not for everything. Everyone knew what it was like to be in a bad place, which was not here or now. Everyone liked looking at things that were pretty. I can still make things that are pretty, but I don't now. And as for things I made in the past, I don't even like to look at them anymore. You made yourself small on top of me. And I held myself still while you told me about the lovers you'd had while we were still together. I held myself carefully because if I showed any reaction, you would stop telling me. And then I would know no more than before. I know you will buy me a drink. I know you will take me to dinner. I do not know if you will tell me the truth again. I can't exchange this trinket for any of the others. Because you are practical, you will put me away into some part of your memory that is folded. You will put me into the past tense. You will not be concerned to resolve your thoughts about me. You will not want to know what I think of you. Your skin has many folds. You can put many memories away in them, one for each woman. You will live with me there all your life, a little canker that does no real harm folded into your skin. You have not even put me away yet. Here I am, back beside you. You snore, and it sounds like a shower of change dropped on the pavement. 
Your snore interrupted my dream, in which I had unsatisfactory sex with S's wife. It made her spill coins from her pockets. And then it woke me. Thank you. That's so beautiful. I almost feel like I don't want to know any more about it, if you know, if you know what I mean. But uh, the, the second part is obviously connected to the first. Um, there's a sense of that the present is just so um, dominated by this aftermath of an emotionally one-sided relationship that's turned the past painful as well and rendered the narrator kind of a the sort of observer at the party rather than participant in it. Am I in the ballpark of what this is about? Or um, how would you pitch it, it? It's about lots of little things, I think. I mean, I'm, I am very interested in time. I'm interested in how we perceive time and which bits become important to us. And so which bits of time um, don't act like we think time should. I mean, we're taught that time, that there are 24 hours in a day and that there are 60 seconds in a minute but sometimes you know some of those seconds can be so tremendously important that they can override things and the process of memory can bring them back and back again so that they inform and in fact the present and even the future so I'm one of the things I'm really interested in in my stories is presenting how we really experience time and how we experience memory and how that casts a, a shadow on present experience um, so that's, that's certainly one of the things that I was doing. I mean, I, I, I was using that kind of metaphor of paper at the front. You know when you, you have a sheet of paper and everyone says you can only fold a sheet of paper seven times? And you try it because you don't believe it. You get a really big sheet of paper like a newspaper and you think this is really thin paper. Um, surely I can fold it more than seven times. And you try it and I, I don't think it works. I've never, I've never made it work. And I don't know why that is. It's something to do... And I think time works a bit like that. It's a little bit like the... Um, you know, to do with the, the, the density of the paper... Of, in relation to its size and somehow it just it just never folds more than those times. Um, two people in a relationship are probably always going to have a different conception of time. Is that yes. one of the key tensions perhaps in, in relationships? Well maybe so I mean I, th- I think that I think differences in perception in general are something that I'm really interested in the way that some that you know people who know each other who think they know each other really well will just pick up on on different things about each other and on different instants and the kind of interplay. I'm, I'm interested very much in rhythm in the way that I write, just literally in using words, but also in this rhythm of experience and uh, the way that I think we probably all have quite different rhythms of experiences which are, which are crossing each other all the time. Um, certainly it's, it's to do with age as well. I, I think that as well, in my experiences you get older, these, these, these experiences layer up and so every new experience has, has some kind of backstory that's related to, to something else. Um, and, you know, that's to do with habit as well, though, you know, some people don't accrue too many dramatic new experiences, and so habit works differently. Although I'm, I'm, I, I don't put value on kind of great changes of scene, I'm very, I'm very interested in small things, in, in small alterations. There's, a, there's something I'm working on at the moment, which I hope, which I'm working on as a digital project, which is all about someone quite young who doesn't have much life experience. He's probably read quite a lot, but... Um, but instead puts all her energy into noticing incredibly small changes, changes in landscape. Um, it's a very wordless book. It's a book about, about not telling, which I think a lot of my work is. It's about not telling out loud. So, I mean, that leads me on to where you write about desire and the desire of these narrators. There's very much the sense that 
the, the sort of it's not really quite an immediate hedonistic desire, but also a desire for how things might have been, how things should have turned out differently. Is that that's key to writing as a somebody who has life experience? Well, I, I, I like the way that you found it quite difficult to formulate a tense for that. And there's a tense that I really like called the future, the, the future anterior. I think that's French, actually. I can't remember what it's called in English. It's probably called the same thing. Um, where you say, this will have been, which is a really weird thing to say because you're, try, you're, you're, you're saying, um, you know, by the time we, we do this tomorrow, it, it will have been... Um, this will have happened, uh, and it's it's a weird construction to think to, to think in the past tense when you're thinking about the future. It's very very wishful thinking, and one thing I'm very very interested in is wishful thinking and how people act in the present on some kind of predicated future, which is kind of triangulated, but almost hasn't but hasn't happened yet. And I do I do it a lot myself. I completely accuse myself of doing this, since, but I am really interested in in how people do that. Well, I suppose there's a. There's a bittersweetness to um, the desire. The, oh, desire, yeah. You know, I wanted to answer the question about desire because I'm, I'm very interested in desire. I mean, it's straightforward sexual desire as well as as well as desire for all sorts of things. Um, partly because uh, certainly the desire of of, of the, the field of desire for women is something that is not so commonly written about, and it's not. It's something for which it's even quite difficult to formulate words, and uh, I don't think we have as wide a vocabulary as men have been given because it's been more acceptable in the past for men to talk about about sex. I've written a book of short sex, sex fairy tales called um, Grow a Pair, and I just kind of sat down and I wanted to write in a very sort of freeform way and just write about anything which, which, which came to me. And so I chose fairy tales as a form because you could do anything, you could do things that were quite fantastical. So I tried really hard not to think about what I was writing. I just wrote them and then kind of themes emerged later, which were all themes about kind of transforming body parts and um, all, this, all sorts of stuff in there. Um, but it worked, they worked quite, worked quite well um, in terms of fairy tales. But there are, you know, books, books like Catherine Angel's Unmastered, which is a non-fiction book. It's a, it's a personal essay. Uh, very fragmented, which is really explores the theme of you know why don't women have why why is it so difficult for women to talk about desire? I mean, how much of your writing comes from the subconscious, or is it is it inevitable that it, that it all does? I don't I don't know whether I see a firm d- division between the conscious and the subconscious. It's probably more of a sliding scale. I'm, I'm interested in Freud, and Hotel has a lot of Freud in it, um, so I'm kind of familiar with with the idea of. Um, that there is something that we, there are things that we repress or things that come out in different ways, both in terms of the way that we think think and describe ourselves, but also purely in physical terms. The idea of somatic symptoms is very interesting to me. The idea of the body speaking when when you when when there's something that you can't speak, so um, symptoms which manifest themselves in illness, usually because there's some kind of in physical illness because, or in a physical symptom because, because there's something that you find it impossible to talk about. Um, you know, the times have changed a lot since Freud was writing that stuff, but it's still, a, it's still a very interesting idea. And many writers describe writing as a kind of a compulsion. Would you go along with that? Is, is it a compulsion for you? I think it gets to be because you just... You, it's a way of processing the world, and so you do get used to doing it, and I do... It's. It's. It, I, I think. I don't. I mean. I guess I could stop. I, I did have a career as an illustrator. When you described me as an illustrator, I'm. I'm not really so much anymore. I. I, I find it very difficult to think, to to kind of practice creatively in both areas at once. I. I used to wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just move that line, or I'll move that colour. I'll. I'll change that colour, and then it'll all be okay. And now, I wake up and think about sentences or words, 
you know, you just wake up and the first thing you're thinking is, I'll, I'll, I know what I'll do with that sentence. Um, well, actually, that leads me on to another question about, uh, you know, are you, a, are you a big reviser of sentences? Because there's obviously tremendous control here and just w- wondering how much uh, care do you put into each sentence? Or how, how many revisions do you make to each one? I think I think about it a lot before I put it down. So I don't... A lot of the sentences that I like in my books, the ones that I really like, are ones that just have come to me out of a long process of, of not putting them down before... Uh, but obviously there's some kind of work that's gone there at another level. What I do a lot is I shuffle, and it's a bit like a kind of deck of cards. It's like playing patience. You know, you, you shuffle the cards and you, you lay them out, and they don't fit. You, you put them back together and shuffle them again and try again. So I'm a complete digital writer. I couldn't possibly write a story linearly. I couldn't sit down and write one on paper and begin at the beginning and end at the end, and even... Sometimes when I've written longer chapters in books, things like Hotelwood, where the chapters are about 7,000 words each, I find it really difficult to, um, to, to, to cope with them on a screen, uh, or even all this shuffling of, about that I like to do. And so sometimes I print them out and I literally cut them into strips and lay them out on the floor and move them around a lot. But I haven't, I haven't done that for a while. Maybe I'm better at holding it in my head. I don't know. Is there a single narrator in Vertigo? Because it, it feels like there could be, but yeah. is, is that how you intended it? I said, no, not at all, because I wrote the story separately. I was, I was really writing about situations, and I was writing about, I think, about mental situations as much as, as physical ones, though a lot of them are very crossed with space. So space, place is important to me. It's important to have, to write about places that I know I'm not someone who makes places up. Um, I have substituted one place for another when I'm using incidents that I really have experienced quite so quite frequently. I, I just sort of want to, if I if I if I want them to be less recognisable for some reason, then I, I I do things like swap one place for another. But they're always places I know. I think I have to feel comfortable in the space in order to write about it. I have to feel comfortable that you know, yeah, I know there's a cafe there and there's a church there or whatever. Uh, so I, I have to. I very infrequently make up a place entirely. Because the collection opens in, in France and in several of the stories also sort of explicitly address the kind of the oddness of, of, of being on holiday, which I know is a theme in, in Hotel, your memoir as well. Uh, is it sort of, is going on holiday a kind of a contradiction really? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Those kind of planned holidays you go on as in a group, in it, whether it's family or friends, they're quite odd. I mean, you know, they're, they're nice, but they're also very strange. You're putting yourself into this very isolated situation with a small group of people, and you just don't know what's going to happen. You, you get to know each other in ways that you don't when you've got all the support of your surroundings and, and your everyday business. And that, that I think I'm very concerned with with sense of, of self. I was, I was talking to you about a future project just before we were, um, just when we were having a drink up there. And... It is certainly one of the things that I'm interested in, the way that we construct ourselves um, in relation to our environment, in relation to other people that we know, or even in relation to environments where we know no one. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's holidays seem to be a very strange thing for me. Not very restful. I mean, they can be nice, but I don't think they're very restful times unless you go on your own. Well, that actually culminates in, in the sort of the, the, the very dark uh, final story in the collection, uh, Drowning, which I think has one of the most uh, thrilling descriptions, I think, of, of the feeling of being in the sea. 
I felt like I was in the sea when I was reading it, which is obviously what you want um, uh, from a reader. But the narrator here is said to have swum over an abyss. Uh, is to go on holiday to risk, you know, encountering the abyss? I think there are abysses around every corner. <laughs> but... Um yeah, I don't, I don't think, I wasn't thinking of the holiday then. I think I was thinking of, I guess, that moment of doubt that, that she experiences about her entire family situation and uh, when she, she, she you know, encounters a, a difficult bit when swimming where she thinks it's possible that she might drown. Um, or, you know, if you want to be an expressionist about this, maybe she did. <laughs> maybe that happened in the story and I just wasn't telling, I don't know. Um, and... Yeah, there's, I, I, I think I was, I was thinking of the literal abyss because I have, I have swum in the sea sometimes and, you know, I, I enjoy it mostly, but there are these bits where you, there's a sudden trough and it gets very cold suddenly and you think, well, I don't know what's under my feet at all. I don't know how far the bottom is and you, you can't see. It's not like a swimming pool when you, you, they have a little marker on the side that says six feet and eight feet or whatever on metres now, I guess. And that sort of instinct to, to fight against a current, of, co- of course, is what causes a lot of um, drownings, isn't it? It's, it's I, didn't, kind of, I didn't know, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to go, go with the flow, I believe. Oh, That's really? the okay. official advice. I've never been in that situation, so I don't know. Um, but the, the title story, Vertigo, um, and you, the narrator here says that vertigo is the sense that if I fall, I will not fall down towards the earth, but into space. Is, is that something that you feel kind of metaphorically as a writer? I guess so. It was based on a physical sensation as well. I have had vertigo, but it seems to come and go. It seems to be psychological rather than physical. So I have had times when I've had this kind of sensation where you feel like you're actually going to not only fall off something, but dive off something somehow involuntarily. Um, but, but I have... Also, I went. I, w- I was in Mexico last year for the British Council, and I climbed up this Aztec pyramid. And I was I was very scared that I would just get vertigo when I go into the back, got to the top, and I didn't for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it was also something to do with it being a man man made object. I'm not sure, but I have had it on top of churches before. I think I, I climbed up a church for some kind of event that was, you know, it was it was Oxford May morning. I live in Oxford, and there's a bit where you can go and you're supposed to get up at like five o'clock in the morning on the first of May and listen to choristers singing in the May. And um, I got to, got to go, go up on top of a church, and so I did get that then. Uh, but that, so that was man-made. But I did wonder whether there's a difference. Um, so but it, it's obviously it kind of a profound experience in a way that you chose it as the, yeah. as the title of, of well, the Well, I'm interested in... I've also got claustrophobia in there, and um, I, I, I'm interested in odd physical experiences, odd physical sensations, because they do... They, they, they just question, they pose a question somehow about what you are and what the limits are to you um, bodily um, as well as everything else. And Claustrophobia is the title of a story that's about... Um, uh, the opening line is, in the house of women, everyone is losing it. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that story? Sure. Um, I re- I've written a lot in this collection. I mean, all the, coll- all, the whole, all of the stories are about women's relationships within families. So there are, you know, whether, whether it's just as, as a kind of girlfriend or as a wife, as a mother, as, um, you know, as a daughter. So a lot of that one is about, I think, the, the situation in extended family when you find yourself between generations, um, which is, is, can be very claustrophobic.